You're listening to episode 142 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Simon Jones. And I'm Steph McKenna. And we are joined by Flo. Hello, Flo. Hiya. You are back to announce the latest book club book. I am indeed. Yes, very excited. Yes, we're very excited to find out what it is. Uh, So it is the 13th of April 2021 here in Norwich as we're recording, which is Quite an exciting week because I actually spent a little bit of time in a cafe yesterday doing some writing, which is something that writers in this country have not been allowed to do for months. Did you have to wear about three coats and a woolly hat to do it? Yeah, I was freezing. (laughs) It was deeply uncomfortable. (laughs) We're used to it. We've got, uh, yeah, we're very strong-willed when it comes to just managing with horrible weather. Yeah. Well, all socialising requires wearing five coats and standing in the hail, trying to pretend that you're enjoying yourself. Lovely to uh, have some restrictions lifted, isn't it? <laughs> 2021 socialising. So before we talk about the book club, uh, just a quick bit of news, which is that Annie Domingo, who was on the pod a few episodes back talking about breaking the Marfa chain, now has a publishing date, which is the 23rd of September 2021. So not too long to wait now. Congratulations to Annie. We look forward to reading it. So Flo, tell us what is happening with the book club. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm really, really excited to hear what people are going to think of this book because ever since I finished it, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it and I really, really want to talk about it with other people. So we're going to be reading A Rising Man by Abir Mukherjee. Um, which is the first in his Sam Wyndham series of crime novels, which are set in Kolkata, in India in the early 20th century and uh, Rising Man is the first in the series and introduces us to his detective uh, protagonist Sam Wyndham and his trusty sidekick uh, Surrender Not Banerjee and it's a fantastic book that I can't wait to get into with members of the book club and readers all over the world. Am I right in thinking that Abir was at Noirage a few years back? Yeah, a few years back now, I think probably to talk about this book. I think he was on the debut panel. Yeah, I think he was on the debut panel introducing this as his first crime book, which is very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, I hadn't read this one. I hadn't read the the beginning of the series for some reason. But it's a really, really fantastic book. Perfect beginning of this wonderful series and the fact that it's a backlist title of course means that it's really easy to get hold of in libraries and all over the world in different editions and as an ebook so hopefully people will be able to get hold of a copy near them and how does the book club work for people who haven't taken part before so the book club is mostly online and um, we might start meeting occasionally face to face those of us who are local to norwich but we're going to carry on doing things online as well so no fear there for readers around different places who would still like to be part of it and every two months we read a new book and we launch that usually with a little bit of chat from me on the podcast but also with some blog posts some questions that you might want to think about while you're reading the book a writing exercise inspired by the book we'll then have some discussion sessions over zoom as well and those will be happening uh, in late may this time so we've got you know a decent two-month window in which to read a rising man and i know some members of the book club on our discord community where we talk about it already kind of halfway through it and nearly finished it it's a real page turner and yeah i kind of defy people to put this one down i certainly couldn't oh sounds intriguing and of course this book club pick ties in very nicely with our city of literature program at norfolk and norwich festival as well um we've got 
uh, a series of commissions that are going to be released online as part of the festival this year. So between Monday the 24th and Thursday the 27th of May, we've got three fantastic writers, including Abir, who are going to be writing a series of commissions and they're going to be taking part in a series of podcasts that will be addressing what it means to be a writer today and why we write. It's all nicely tying together in a neat little bow. What an amazing segue. Thanks so much. Uh, while you're talking NNF, uh, we, we should mention that the, the full program is now up, both for our City of Literature stuff and the wider festival, isn't it? It is, yes. So um, as we speak at the moment, you can head over to nnfestival.org.uk and check out the full festival programme, including our City of Literature strand, which we programmed. Public booking goes on sale uh, this Thursday, the 15th of April, and everything in our uh, City of Literature strand is completely free for you to book. A lot of it is taking place online. So as Flo mentioned before, wherever you are in the world, you can take part in a huge number of these events, actually, which is really, really lovely. We've got YouTube discussions. We've got interactive websites. We've got written commissions and podcasts. We've even got a WhatsApp play, which is very exciting indeed. And we've also got a couple of events which will be taking place in Norwich as well, including a very special installation, which will be based in Dragon Hall. And this will be the first time since the COVID pandemic has kind of emerged that we will be welcoming audiences back into the building in a very strict, socially distanced way. Very, very excited to welcome people back through our doors. And Flo, you mentioned that the book club might actually be able to have an in-person meetup this time around. Not quite this time around. For A Rising Man, both our discussion sessions are going to be online. But hopefully over the summer, those of us who are sort of within striking distance of Norwich might be able to get together with our next book. So, yeah, I, I really hope people enjoy Rising Man and, you know, get involved on Discord, on our Zoom discussions, um, talking, just talking about it with your own friends and family, of course, as well. And when I announce the next book, hopefully I'll have some good news about in-person meetup as well. Can you imagine Book Club in the Garden at Dragon Hall? I Ooh. know. Uh, it will be so nice. What a dream. Yeah, can't wait. <laughs> okay, so on the podcast today... We have writer and artist Neil Cameron, who writes books for younger readers. He contributes regularly to the Phoenix magazine, which is a, a weekly comic book aimed at seven to 12 year olds. Unlike most magazines for young people in that it doesn't have a piece of plastic on the front. It's very much just about the storytelling and the artwork. Ah. Neil's work on his long running series, Mega Robo Bros, is particularly popular with my son, who absolutely loves it. And we talked to Neil about being a writer and illustrator and how he pitches his work to address some quite challenging themes in a way that is approachable for those younger readers who are just getting into comics and just kind of reading for themselves for the first time. It's a really great chat. So let's head straight in. Neil, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And congratulations on the release of Freddy vs. School, which has been out a couple of months now, is it? Uh, it came out at the start of January. Yes. Keeping track of time at the moment is largely Yeah, it's impossible. been out either so. <laughs> a week or two or a hundred years already. I, I can't tell <laughs> one or the other. Yes, exactly. What What was the release during COVID like? Because we've spoken to various authors who've had various oh my experiences God. <laughs> of varying frustrations. Oh, it was a, it was a day. It was a day. 
Um, well, because originally um, the book had been due to come out uh, last July, and then we sort of you know we went into lockdown and um, had sort of enough distance out from it that it seemed sensible to put it off because you know well back at the beginning none of us really knew you know what this meant and um, it seemed like it would be a bad idea to have a book coming out while all the bookshops were closed <laughs> so <laughs> we put it off for an entire you know not an entire year half a year something and I had to sit you know with the frustration of you know I've been so looking forward to this book coming out and then you know another six months of sitting on it and then I was finally ready for it to come out and then it did uh like a day after we went back into lockdown and also a day after armed insurrectionists stormed the US Capitol so that was a really fun day to be trying to tell the world <laughs> about a new fun children's <laughs> book about robots and fart jokes oh dear yeah I can imagine you're sort of jumping up and down waving your hands while everyone else is looking at Washington oh <laughs> uh, yeah I mean I you know it was generally a moment of do do we just do I just wave my hands in defeat and you know oh well you know but you have to at least try right and I you know you have to believe that there's value in what you're doing and if there is if there is value in what you're doing then there's value to it that day more than ever you know and so I really tried uh, but it was I've never seen I've never seen the internet like it you know what I mean like you you, you post something and just watch it just disappear <laughs> instantly <laughs> it was it was a pretty brutal day yeah. Yeah, and this was your first novel, is that right? You've obviously released lots and lots of comics, but this is your first kind of prose fiction novel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to learn to be comfortable with the word novel because it seems, you know, it's it's a it's very short as uh, not actual novels go, and there's a lot of drawings <laughs> as actual novels go. Um, but it isn't a comic, no. It's it's a prose book. Um, I guess chapter book is the the term. Uh, I'm, I'm learning my way around the terminology here, um, but yeah, so it was a whole, it was a whole new thing, it was a whole new learning process and a whole new experience to write this kind of a book. Because um, you know, I've been doing comics for quite a while now, and I'm, I have a certain amount of uh, comfort zone there. Uh, it's not good to get too comfortable, and I like to usually be terrified and have no idea what I'm doing. But I, <laughs> I have been doing comics for a while, and I know how to do some stuff. I'll, I'll feel confident saying that. Um, uh, but this was a whole new, you know, starting from scratch, back in at the deep end kind of thing. It was a, a fun and terrifying experience. Yeah, and what was the aside from you know just trying something new? What was what was the motivation for making the switch now and and trying the different form? Uh, well, I honestly, like my, I'm very fortunate to work with a you know fantastic publisher who I've been working with on the comic stuff for for years and they um had sort of you know low-key been asking me if i ever fancied writing a a novel like a a non-comics book um i don't know if it's uh, you know I, I don't want to be too cynical about it and i don't know if there's some subtext there that you know uh comics are a kind of a hard sell in some ways in this country in the book uh, market as it is and Maybe if you made a book that looked and was this literally like shaped and sized the same as other <laughs> books, that might be easier to sell. Um, anyway, I'm probably being too cynical. Maybe they just thought it'd be fun to see what happened if I tried to write a book. Um, so they've been sort of suggesting it for a while, and um, I just all all my ideas tend to be comics ideas, you know, um, and also comics take a long time to make, so. You know the the ideas that I've had are going to keep me going for quite a while yet. You know what I mean? Because um, it's it's then really a process of working through them. Um, 
but this one just it just it just popped in there and it just was you know oh no i know what that is that's that's a book that's not and it felt quite strange because as i say all my ideas tend to be comics shaped ideas but this was just sort of a very um oh you know it'd be you know it'd be funny you know it'd be funny it would be um would be this book <laughs> essentially it just arrived very fully <laughs> formed you know yeah what was the process like in terms of figuring out you know what would work well uh on the written page compared to a page that also is fully illustrated like what what were the differences there in terms of sort of structure and storytelling that you found yeah well so the the main difference i suppose um like the, so what this book is is essentially it's sort of you know it's as if it's a diary of um this one character who is a character from the comic um he's you know he's a regular kid but he's a robot that's kind of the that's kind of the, the elevator pitch right it's a diary of an <laughs> awesome robot I think that was my original pitch idea, which was just that title because it kind of describes the whole thing, you know. And um, it, I think what it was was just the, you know this character I've been writing comics about for a few years, and he's very sort of fully formed in my head, and he's very um, you know that that voice is very clear in my head at this point. And I think he was basically getting a bit um, ticked off with how little focus he was getting in the comic for a bit um he's you know he is one of the main characters but also as the comic has sort of gone on and um is sort of growing up in some ways because he's the younger brother and he's the less emotionally um in in some ways the less emotionally complicated uh of the two sort of main characters he is it's sort of unavoidable the, the way the story's gone he is uh the, the, what what we're doing at the moment in that comic is very much sort of Alex, the big brother's story, you know. Um, and I tried to give them both balance, but apparently not enough because he was just suddenly very insistent in <laughs> my head, <laughs> essentially one demanding his own book series. And um, and and what can I say? I just I just try and keep up, you know. Yeah, I like that the character itself is is having proper kind of younger sibling syndrome there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. There's a whole metatextual um, level to this that's <laughs> quite strange. Having si- if sibling <laughs> rivalry play out between imaginary siblings in my head, um, yep, in yep. in the publishing landscape. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it really was that he just sort of he he was demanding more attention um, in my head and on the page, and um, and then t- to get back to your original question, that's sort of been the main. Uh, like the main learning process of this and also the main joy of it is that it's it's a whole book that is in his voice you know it's it's very much his he's telling the story he's opinionating on everything he's you know sharing his thoughts in a, in a way that's really really sort of direct and allows you to just just to sort of you know just to live with that voice and to do things with it that um that well that I don't tend to do in comics you know um, because for, for whatever reason, the comics that I make um, and this series, uh, Mega Robo Bros in particular, um, I try to tell it in a sort of fairly, um, a very sort of narratively clear, um, somewhat sort of cinematic way where it's much more, you know, showing what's happening and sort of inferring from body language and from action, sort of how the characters feel about things rather than, slapping thought bubbles on it telling you how they feel and think about things you know um like for whatever reason i just don't tend to do that in the comic very much um whereas this book is just 100 percent that essentially so that's that's been the real sort of um 
the real learning curve, I suppose, or the real the real um, fun opportunity of doing it in a different form. Yeah, I was really curious as to how it would translate, actually, because my, my son is is a big fan of Mega Robo Bros, Dumb. and I also am. <laughs> um, it's one of those things when you're reading it with, when you're reading books with your child or children, when you come across something that you can actually also enjoy at the same time, it's, oh, yeah. uh, it's, it's, a joy, it's quite right? exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Same with movies, TV shows, whatever it is. You know, Particularly if, because than, if it's know, a book that they really enjoy, you're going to have to be reading that thing a lot, you know. Um, in, in my experience and when it's one that you enjoy um at all that really helps i found yeah exactly rather than having to kind of tolerate it you can you can actually enjoy it you know, yes. equally in in a, in a different way perhaps but yeah yeah, yeah absolutely uh, that's the goal for sure but yeah in terms of the i was really intrigued when we found out that a novel was was coming along because the storytelling in the comics is so visual which i know sounds kind of like an obvious thing to say but different comics approach the art in a slightly different way and yours is yeah, extremely of sort of kinetic and cinematic as you say and i was like oh, i wonder how's what's it going to be like when it doesn't have that yeah yeah absolutely that's some um, and it, but it is um like we, we've taken the opportunity to it, it is the same world and the same characters but it is uh you know intended as a sort of very different tonal uh kind of story it's a very different um it feels sort of surprisingly different to me, given that they are the exact same world and the exact same characters, um, and probably several of the same jokes, you know. But just the way that you're telling it and the form it takes makes it feel uh, very different. And I think it's sort of weirdly, like the, the the novel is probably in some ways a couple of years sort of younger feeling than the comic. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, the comic is, uh, you know, the comic is intended for a certain age range and. Um, we, we all, we're always trying to make sure it still works for the younger end of that age range, but also, you know, sort of unavoidably, it's it's a story about growing up, and we've been doing it for a few years, and it is sort of it's it's pushing upwards, and hopefully, still remaining interesting and exciting for kids at the upper end of that age range, and and indeed older siblings, and perhaps even parents, you know. Um, <laughs> whereas the the book is just straight up you know this, no this is for the this is for the, the little ones this is for the the fart joke crowd <laughs> which which is not to say that there is an upper age range on fart jokes no, some of us enjoy them for quite a long time <laughs> far um, too long in some yes so i first came across your work in the in the phoenix which is this mm. weekly uh comic that, that comes out packed full of stories from various artists and um it's quite unique as a kids magazine um in the it I mean, one of the things that really separates it from other kids' magazines is that it doesn't have a rubbish plastic toy stuck to the front cover. <laughs> All stories, less plastic toys. That yes. was kind of, I guess, in a way, sort of the yeah, the, the selling point um, starting out. If you're trying to sort of express it in a, as, as an elevator pitch, it's like, no, just a comic with stories. No, no things stuck to the front. I'm going to try not to be too rude about comics that have plastic things stuck to the front because I've got in trouble for that in the past. And um, <laughs> you know. yeah, well, my son loves those too. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I think the thing with the Phoenix is it it does feel like a slight breath of fresh air in that suddenly you've got something that is just focusing on story. That, that's our only concern, you know. And and sort of related to that, you know, is that the plastic toy um, comics and many of them, many of which contain fine work made by excellent creators, but they are sort of by their nature tend to be sort of the publishing arm of a sort of big multimedia, uh, you know, children's entertainment 
franchise, whatever it may be, and sort of serving the franchises carries all these different sort of goals and priorities uh, with it. Whereas our one goal and priority is telling stories that will be funny and exciting and uh, uh, that you will enjoy. And that sort of, that simplifies things in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where, particularly any parent that's listening that has kids that are kind of you know five five to nine years old, you know, get getting them to commit to a magazine that you know, doesn't have a toy on the front, it initially can seem like quite a challenge. You know, how can, how can we make this thing interesting and exciting in a way that the kind of immediate gratification of having that thing on the front uh, does so easily for young kids? And I think the Phoenix succeeds there yeah and certainly at that at that younger age uh age i'm i'm you know absolutely no judgment for me because you know when my son was that age then i would frequently buy things because they had a cool thing on the front that would entertain him and buy me <laughs> half an hour of <laughs> you know, half an hour of peace um and that's all very good um but you know i think the goal here is you know let's dream big Let, let's aim for more than half an hour of peace let's 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 engage with minds and create reading experiences that may might buy you a full 45 minutes that's um <laughs> that you can go back yes. to again and again and that you know will will live with you for a little longer maybe yeah i mean i i tried to kind of force feed my child the phoenix when he was a bit too young for it uh, just... <laughs> pushy comics dad <laughs> yes exactly yeah so i think we encountered like a random issue of mega robo bros like if, several years ago uh and at the time, yeah, you know, he liked it, and I thought oh, that's, a, that's a cool, stompy robot punching things <laughs> story. And then yeah. it was kind of several years later that uh, we subscribed to the Phoenix now, but we also picked up the, the kind of trade collections of, mm. of Mega Robo Bros. And what surprised me was how much more there was to it than you know robots punching stuff, of which there is a lot of that as well. Yeah, I was going to say let's not down let's not downplay the robots punching things. So. No, exactly. And I'm not in any way denigrating that as, as a thing. But yeah, it's it's so surprising in terms of the content that you put into it, you know, from the, the fact that the cast is very diverse. Well, it feels like a, a truer representation of kind of a, a multicultural city like London than you maybe see usually. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know how sort of conscious that was as a, as a thing for you as a, as a creator, but, you know, you, you don't get that uh by default yeah. particularly with kids literature you know there's the studies that come out that five percent of children's books have black asian or minority ethnic protagonists and children's books are more likely to have you know animals as their main characters or indeed robots so, <laughs> you know i don't know i don't know how much i can um how much i can trade on this but you know i um i mean yeah i think that's I think that stuff's really important and i'm no in no way the best qualified person to speak on this stuff but uh, all I can really say is that you know the the comic was to an extent sort of inspired by um, you know particular schools that I'd visited and sort of done comics workshops in uh, in that area of London where it's set. That's uh, you know I was really struck by you know as as someone from the suburbs you know sort of growing up growing up uh, you know if you're going to school and you're looking out at these sort of gleaming skyscrapers um, sort of across the river from you that uh you know are right next to you but also feel like quite a different world i think um to some kids it's it, it just i don't know it just felt sort of quite science fictional and futury and exciting to me 
just that that place that setting in a way that you know the boring suburbs I'm from don't you know and so that was why I wanted that I guess is where the seed of the story came from in a way that sort of mixture of the very mundane and everyday world of school and the sort of gleaming you know there's something about skyscrapers man they just feel very superhero-y and science fictiony to me because I come from a place where we don't really have any so I just mm-hmm. that that felt exciting to me and if you're saying a story there it would seem weird not to try and um, represent the kids who were going to that school. You know what I mean? Like the, to try and represent it, you know, it, it's said in the future, it should at least attempt to reflect the reality of today. <laughs> this is where I sort of my point on this. But it does make uh, such a difference because, you know, my, my sons of mixed heritage and, actually having the opportunity to see as you say yeah the lead characters are robots yeah <laughs> so <laughs> there's that but you know everything and everyone surrounding them is is a more kind of a more interesting and a more realistic depiction of society we actually live in as you say and that's not something you can take for granted and i know you know when when my son saw the into the spider-verse movie and came mm. out to it and went oh he, he looks like me <laughs> you know all this kind of stuff um which really does matter yeah no it matters hugely and you know i think it's it's important to try and understand, you know, as, as a, you know, as a white cisgendered male, I try to understand how much that matters to people who haven't like me just taken that experience for granted their entire lives since childhood, you know? Um, Cause mm. you know, yeah, there's a lot of stories about plucky little blonde boys, <laughs> nothing <laughs> against plucky little blonde boys, you know? Um, I was one and I have one, but <laughs> there, there's books out there already you know <laughs> those stories exist no one's taken those stories away but yeah it's, it's i think it's it's hard it's hard when when that's your experience you, it's just it's just sort of basic i don't know manners decency to try and imagine you know how much it just listen when people are telling you how much that matters you know yeah i think the fact that it's kind of it's notable that you know you, you've you've gone to this effort to depict the world in a certain way you know the fact that it is notable is is the thing that is frustrating still yeah but, i suppose uh, so yeah yeah absolutely as well as that the the themes that you address in the comic uh, also surprised me having you know initially had this kind of one-off issue where there was a big fight going on. <laughs> yeah. and then um, yeah. and then to to find the themes that you explore you know explore kind of gender themes and discrimination and and use the kind of metaphor of the robots a lot to to do this kind of stuff and i was wondering how do you go about pitching that tone right in terms of you know knowing the target audience that you're going for, uh, but you're you're dealing with quite weighty themes and figuring out kind of you know the tightrope of where where, where to get, fall in terms of how you address those in the stories? Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's sort of I mean that's that's the big part of the job, I suppose, in a way. Like um, I mean, in, in a way, it's quite simple. You know, I just I just write a story that I think will be interesting and fun. And then I send it in and my editors say, whoa, way too far. <laughs> Dial it back a thousand. And then we have a big fight. And then we land up somewhere that we're both happy with. Um, no, I'm, I'm joking. They're, they're wonderful people. And um, <laughs> But yeah, that, those are the most, the most time spent sort of in discussions with my editors. It tends to be on those sort of exactly like, okay, where, where is the line here? And um, what is the exact tone and the exact what exactly we're trying to say here and are we making sure we're saying it in the clearest way possible because because clarity is so important you know um and like we're not trying to sort of 
you know overly spell things out or be in any way kind of like preachy or um, this is what you should think about a thing but also when you're dealing with things that are you know sensitive subjects for people um, you you don't want to be misinterpreted I suppose is the is the is the main thing you don't want to um, you don't want to you don't want to accidentally come off as saying something you're not intending uh, in a way that could be hurtful or confusing or just sort of difficult for kids to understand. Um, because uh, again, we, you know, we're always conscious of the fact that, you know, that there's five-year-olds out there reading this comic, you know, um, and it's not our job to be um, having difficult parenting conversations <laughs> necessarily with these five-year-olds, you know what I mean? But it is our job to be raising interesting questions in the minds of these five-year-olds, I think, you know, um, or, or just distracting the five-year-olds with some fart jokes and letting their older <laughs> brothers and sisters have some interesting things to think about. Maybe that's our job. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe that's why having the two robot protagonists uh, works so well, because you, you do have the layer of, you know, cool robots fighting each other and other robots, which uh, is perfectly fine. That's all that the younger kids need. But there's this, you know, additional kind of subtext and layers going on. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, children. it has to work on the level of, you know, and and can I think be read just purely as a, you know, here is an exciting story about two robot brothers having adventures and fighting baddies and stuff. You know, um, it, it, subtext should only be subtext, right? <laughs> uh, and especially when you're working for quite a young age range, like to to have more things there that you can will will maybe sort of linger in your mind or that you'll sort of discover on rereading it um you know when you go back to it in a couple of years or that you'll sort of maybe not even have noticed in the first place were there at all i don't know that those are sort of the that that's the goal and that's the dream to to be telling a fun story that you're just like you just love the characters and you're excited and you're in the moment and you want to know what happens next but if it's got a bit more depth to it and just then then hopefully it will sort of stay in your in your mind for longer it will stay in your heart for longer it will you know be a story that for reasons you may not understand yet matters to you in some way and in in a way that if it was just straight up punchy punchy fighty fighty fart joke um it it wouldn't although i you know that, that sounded pretty good to me punchy 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 fight fart joke that still sounds pretty entertaining <laughs> i would be fine with that yeah. Well, I think maybe that's why the the comic and and the book. Uh, yeah, I think part of the reason why they work well is that you clearly you know you engage with those, the, the subtext stuff and the themes that are going on, but you're not in any way shying away or ashamed of the punchy punchy fight stuff. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the fact that they're both kind of given equal billing, you know, is 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 probably what makes it work and what makes it feel quite special as a children's book. Yeah, I mean. Punchy, punchy robots punching other robots and having exciting adventures and saving the world. Yeah, there is nothing wrong with that. Again, like that's 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 largely what you're there for. And to to do that well and sort of um, and and it's not like that's the. It's, I don't want to make it sound like you know that's that's the easy part. That's the phoning it in part. Um, and then we try and do serious things on top. It's not that at all. You know, doing a punchy, punchy, fighty, fighty robot stories in a way that genuinely is is exciting and you know and is sort of character based and makes you it's i suppose it's not 
I'm sorry, I'm not being terribly articulate or coherent here because you're making me think uh, on the fly. (laughs) (laughs) But I suppose what it is, is just it should be one organic thing. You know, it shouldn't be, um, right, here is our here is our straightforward action story let's try and ladle some extra meaning on top the the meaning and sort of any any extra weight it should has should be because you care about these characters you know and the more sort of rounded and real to you these characters feel the more you will care about them right and to me that's just part all part of the same thing like these characters are going to feel real to you if I do my best to make them feel like real people, part of which is, you know, engaging with some real stuff, you know? Yeah. You made me think of, uh, strangely reminded me of some of the cartoons I used to watch as a kid back in the 80s, where it's kind of the opposite of what you were saying, in that, you know, you'd have this, you'd have 20 minutes of action, and then there'd be a a slightly strange one minute thing at the end, where the lead character would go, well, what have we learned today, kids? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, The the sudden swerve of tonal tonal swerve at the end, where they uh, express a moral message and then laugh because the dog did something funny, you know, snarf, did a funny joke. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, Mega Overbros is very much, I think, sort of inspired by those kind of cartoons and sort of has has all those props in place, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm I'm not afraid to end on a dog doing something funny joke. (laughs) (laughs) I I end on a penguin saying something funny joke, you know, 50% of the time. But um, it hopefully all feels a bit more um, uh, tied together and part of of a... I don't want to keep using the word organic because it sounds, I feel I'm veering into pretentiousness, but uh, yeah, hopefully it will all feel a bit more organic and um, part of a, part of a whole. Something you mentioned earlier was seeking kind of clarity in the storytelling. And mm. that's something that in the comic, especially the, the action is always, well, it is always very clear and reading comics with my son, uh, all sorts of different comics, um, Sometimes visually, comics can be extremely dense and quite difficult to follow, particularly as a kind of early reader um, yeah. when you're, you're still trying to figure stuff out and, you know, navigating your way around a, a multi-panel page mm. um, where it can get quite convoluted. And you're like, well, which bit am I going to now? And which order is these dialogue bubbles in and all this kind of stuff? And that's something that Mega Robobos does really well uh, in that for, like my, my son's eight now, but it, it's so easy for him to follow what's happening in it. and. Uh, I was kind of curious about maybe what techniques you use to to try and make sure that that's the case. Oh, I mean, well, that's just wonderful to hear, first of all. So thank you. Because, you know, like, it's it's one of those things that sort of so much work goes into. And the ideal situation is that that work will never be noticed. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's very nice to hear. Um, I suppose, I mean, you know, it's just years and years of reading comics and thinking about how comics work and learning how comics work and so, so to an extent it then becomes sort of intuitive but i mean you know we've been doing this for a while and uh but what's never changed is that uh the, the sort of consciousness that when we first started when the phoenix first started and even the comic before that um that i worked on the the dfc which was sort of the forerunner to it in a way yeah, in hindsight um mm-hmm. we, we we were always sort of trying to bear in mind that this, this is this is not a comic for kids who read a lot of comics necessarily. You know, I mean, this is not a comic for 
people who have been reading comics for 20 years or even this this may be a lot of kids first comic you know um mm-hmm. and so you don't want to be taking anything for granted in terms of sort of understanding of how the form works or um you know comics literacy on, on one level comics are very easy to read you know and you can give them to a child and they'll be able to pick it up and understand um but but that's if if it's done well you know and if it's not making those assumptions you know since i mean since the 80s or whatever you know a certain type of comic um has become sort of much more uh assuming um familiarity and assuming sort of experience and things like i mean that's one of the reasons that sort of going back to something i said a while ago but that's one of the reasons i try not to use a lot of thought bubbles and narrative captions you know because how is a kid supposed to know like if, if you have if you have like moody narrative captions like not not thought bubbles but just like boxes with some narration on the top that can be very nice but how is the child supposed to know what those words mean and where they're coming from you know and how they relate to the image that we're seeing and you know i've, I've read comics that have so much of that sort of thing and like we'll have sort of competing narrative voices like different narrators whose boxes are in different colors and different fonts even and it's just bewildering i think to <laughs> to a young reader potentially um and so you know much as that all that and um, this is not to dismiss any narrative device out of hand and there is place for all kinds of storytelling in comics but you know i've just always felt that these are for for young readers for readers who may not have any degree of comics familiarity, and it, it and hopefully for lots of other readers too but it has to work for those people you know um like if other if older people and if uh, people who've been reading comics for twenty years enjoy it, that's great and that's lovely. But it has to work for that primary audience, you know. And so it's a question of just always focusing on simplicity and clarity. And so it's a mixture of sort of saying, "We're not, okay, we're not going to use certain techniques, or we're going to use them only very sparingly. Um, we're going to focus on these other techniques, and just we're going to." think really hard about just sort of, you know the, the bread and butter comic stuff of what you're drawing how you're laying out a panel where the speech balloons are how the reading order is going to work you know making sure because you know it's, it's it's possible to read a comic and genuinely not know which box you're supposed to go to next <laughs> you know um and you can have such inventive and exciting and gloriously complex um layouts in comics but I just, you know, just took a decision early on. Right, we're not, we're not going to do that. You know, it's going to be as, as very basic. <laughs> I'm going to be a basic comics creator. It's going to be things in nicely ordered tiers with clear panel borders, and it's going to always. There's really only ever going to be one place you can go next. You know, and the balloons and the um, the layout of each panel will lead you on to where you're going next, hopefully, and. Um, it, yeah, it's it's sort of not allowing yourself to do some things that might be fun because they cut against that goal of clarity and accessibility. Really, it's interesting because reading it with my son, I, I read out loud to him, which, which I love doing with with books generally. Something I found though with comics, you know, I've tried to introduce him to comics that I either loved when I was younger or that are you know just more modern comics. But quite often, a comic that might, might be great to to read to yourself in your head. When you try and read it out loud to a to a child, you suddenly realise that it's incredibly clunky and awkward to do that. Um, which was something that with Mega Robobros, it, it's also very easy to read to a child. Oh, good. And I, I couldn't, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it until you 
you said that, which is that I think because you don't have all the kind of multiple different layers of narrative, you know, in terms of thought bubbles and speech bubbles and then some sort of uh, scene setting thing, you know, because you don't have a lot of that, it makes it a lot cleaner to read it out loud to somebody. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, reading comics out loud to people can be, uh, can be tricky. I've been down this road myself, but, you know, there are fun ones, there are, there are comics that are great fun to read to kids. Um, I, if anything, I feel bad that there's not enough funny accents in Mega Robo Bros because uh, that's, that's always fun to do when you're reading out <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's, um, I think that, um, I think that that's because you're stripping all that stuff away, you know, we're allowed, I allow myself like, you know, one London, the future at the start of an episode to establish a setting. And that's about it. I can think of maybe one place in how many years we've done it now where I had a bit of sort of actual moody narration over the top. And it was, it was sort of such a, a uh, dramatically unusual moment in the story that it felt okay, and you know, I'm, I'm not saying that these things are never going to be used because, um, but as long as I think, as long as they're used sparingly and clear, clearly, then, um, but the, the 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 bread and butter of it is always going to be, you know, characters acting and speaking to each other while doing so in a way that you can just, um, yeah, you can follow uh, hopefully very easily. Um, the last, I believe, the last comics related person we had on the podcast was Kieran Gillen talking mm. about his work. Um, and he obviously is a writer who, who works with artists, whereas you're a writer illustrator and mm. do your own artwork. And I was curious about that process and the kind of nuts and bolts day-to-day writing, illustrating experience that you have. And in terms of, you know, do you write first and then draw? Does it all happen at the same time? Like if you're, planning out an issue or an action sequence like what's the what's the actual process for figuring out some of that stuff well um so i mean the the nice thing is that because i have um editors and publishers i've been working with for quite a while they sort of uh, i'm allowed a certain amount of not not leeway but they you know we, we have a certain shorthand at this point and um so i don't i don't have to write a lot of things that there would be sort of no point in writing from because it's me drawing them, if you see what I mean. Because I tend to, you know, as you know, I'm a comics artist by um, by disposition, and so I tend to sort of think quite visually, and I think probably a lot of the scenes do just sort of come as, come into my head as comics, you know. And so it's just a question of trying to, you know, writing is drawing for me to a large extent. I, I sort of start by, um, you know, on on a sort of like if, on an overall book level. And like the the current story of Megarova Rose is sort of it's a big year long sort of novel sized um, batch of story, and so there were a couple of stages um, of writing before the drawing started. With that, of you know, sort of because it's comics, you know, I, I know that you know, I know that you're, you're, your prose writers, your novel writers have all kinds of different processes, but because it's comics and it's appearing in a weekly comic, and we need to know sort of how many episodes it's going to be and how many pages are in each episode and stuff like that. You, you do have to sort of plan out in quite a tight way um, your whole story and you have to, you know, have the ending worked out before you start writing the whole thing to an extent, or I do. I'm, there's probably different ways of working even within comics, but that, that's how we tend to work. And um, because of that, uh, it, it means that uh, so, you know, I might write a sort of big, sort of very broad strokes outline of the story and we'll sort of go through, you know, discuss that, go back and forth on that. Um, 
then it might go to a sort of slightly tighter sort of broken down by by chapter or by episode sort of just a rough this one will be five episodes it'll get us to this point um and it's sort of just you know big broad strokes this is what happens in the story these are the sort of main emotional points we're hitting um you know that sort of uh, overview outline level um and so once once we're all happy with that it'll go straight to straight to drawing it basically like uh, straight to sort of very rough scribbly drawings that would be unintelligible to anyone but me and <laughs> hopefully just about intelligible to my editors um and we'll sort of uh that's when you'll work out all the actual storytelling of it and the getting all those beats right and making sure it's all reading clearly and making sure we're saying everything we want to say and sort of going back and forth and around the houses on tonal issues <laughs> you know um that all sense happen when a version of it is already a comic if you see what i mean even if it's the mm-hmm. world's sort of ugliest sketchiest comic it, it is reading as a comic and you can get that sense of pacing and flow and all that stuff that um you know they're, they're just there seems like there'd be little point like writing a full comic script for myself to draw because that that's not really i, I thought I'd, I'd have to be forcing myself anyway um and there would be little point so for yeah that that's the nice way that we've ended up working on it and um it, it suits me very well because yeah like as i say the story come the story is the story is a comic in my head from the very first stage you know what i mean it's not there's no sort of element of translating it from from prose into a comic it's that i, I just think in comics and that's um that's the nice that's a really nice part of it for me you know yeah and because it's serialized every week in the phoenix um how what's what's the kind of schedule like well how ahead of time are you in terms of the the creation of the comic and then it coming out generally um generally about seven minutes um (laughs) (laughs) is is that a question i shouldn't have asked (laughs) no i mean actually for this one um the one that's sort of currently appearing in the comic probably about as far ahead as we've ever been like a couple of months in the can on this one um and you know it's it's all like written and roughed out and lettered as far as it taking us through till uh christmas pretty much um but the actual sort of in finishing pages inking and lettering um and inking and coloring that's um done a bit closer to the wire but we, we we've just had a long amount of lead time on this one um because we sort of took the decision to sort of changed the way we did it a bit like we had um it started as just a strip that i would do in the comic on a sort of week by week basis and sort of a larger narratives built up out of it and we sort of reached a point in the story or with how the phoenix does books that where for whatever reason they sort of decided okay we're going to step back and you know you can write and draw this whole this whole graphic novel essentially and we're going to get the story nailed down and do the whole thing as a book basically and then we're going to you know, serialize it in the comic once once we've got enough in the can and you're ready to start rolling. So it's it's meant that I've had the chance to do like multiple drafts and, and you know think to myself, oh, that'd be handy if I'd mentioned this point um, earlier on in the story, and then go back and do that, which has never been a luxury I've had before because earlier in the story has already been out in, in readers' hands for several months by the time I get to that point, you know. So it's it's been quite, uh, felt quite luxurious, this one, uh, if anything, in terms of letting me actually, you know, I, I can foreshadow things. I can <laughs> set things up in advance. This is glorious. Whereas before I was always trying to keep 
stuff in mind and foreshadow things that may or may not ever turn out to happen you know um yeah so it's been uh, it's been a joy really <laughs> yeah have you ever gone back and and tweaked issues when it's been compiled into the books oh yeah oh my god yeah um so uh, yes already um because i i worry that i'm a bit of a um, uh, perfectionist in some ways and there's always something you want to change and sort of compiling the books together is an opportunity to do that and because it you know because it was something that as i say originally it was sort of very standalone episodes and you know self-contained episodes and so to try and just turn them into a book did it involve a certain amount of uh tinkering and reworking anyway so it was really an opportunity to do that and make them work as books and um what we're doing at the moment is um sort of taking this to a whole nother level because we uh the mega robo bros books we're relaunching them all this year um in a sort of uh, smaller chunkier format um, to better fit on bookshelves in bookshops and stuff like that, and um, but it, what it's meant is going back and like going through the artwork and it's set you know as a rule of thumb roughly turning a page into two pages, sort of splitting up the panels and moving things around. But because I don't draw things in a sort of standard grid format, it's not been quite that straightforward, mm. and it's been. Um, but because we want these to be sort of like the ultimate versions, the you know the live forever on a bookshelf versions, I've been really taking the opportunity to um, the stories themselves are mostly unchanged. But I have been well, actually no, I've been adding some stuff in and you know redrawing some bits and just um, oh, it's just been indulging all my worst instincts of um, right <laughs> now I'm going to get it right. But yeah, there comes a point when you have to step away. Um, <laughs> but I. I the opportunity to sort of tinker and redraft a bit is to me um a really fun thing but also an instinct that i'm slightly wary of and aware that i probably shouldn't overindulge myself in <laughs> yeah sounds like i'm gonna have to invest in a whole new set of these books now as well yeah sorry man but they're gonna be really cool and there's lots of fun new stuff in them <laughs> excellent the uh, the model that the phoenix has for for creators like yourself sounds sounds quite unusual in comics in that you know if you're working for marvel or some of the big players who you know you, you have your your monthly issues or whatever it may be which then become graphic novels you also have the kind of other end where you've got graphic novelists who uh, create standalone books that come out in that form um whereas the phoenix where you you get to have this kind of serialized release but also with the potential of you know a collection at, at the end of it um without it having to be you know a marvel or a dc or something that, that feels like it's quite a rare thing yeah i i think it is i i think um i i'm very conscious of how lucky i am um and i don't know if there's many other um places out there that give you this opportunity really that, that i've got um where yeah you're, you're making a sort of fun exciting serialized story but also it's your story that you know is your characters and you have you know we, we, with wonderful and helpful editors, but you basically have full control over it and you are not sort of beholden to anyone. And also you own it and it's yours, you know, and that's, um, but also you get paid like a page rate to make it, which is, it's sort of, it very much feels like the best of both worlds to me. Um, I feel stupidly lucky and, um, I don't know how many people are, have this um privileged position i yeah i I count my blessings every day frankly 
How did you get involved with the Phoenix? It sounds like you've been in there from the start, pretty much. Yeah. So um, before, so the Phoenix is published by um, a small independent sort of family-owned company um, called David Fickling Comics, which is the sort of comics wing of uh, established children's publisher David Fickling Books, who put out the book collections. Um, and a few years ago, a few years before the Phoenix started. Um, they when david fickling books was still owned by random house it was like an imprint of random house i believe um they launched uh, a weekly comic uh, which was called the dfc and um i just sort of luck and a friend of mine sort of mentioning me i think put me across their path and the happy fact that they're based in oxford where i live and so i just sort of went in for a meeting and they were like I somehow got to go in for a pitch meeting and I went in with four ludicrously overdeveloped pitches because this was not an opportunity that had ever happened to me in my wanting to make comics as a job, uh, you know, experience to that point. And um, it's not really one that's ever happened since. So I think I just went in and was like, right, I've I've got a shot here. I, I, you know, I can't really leave anything on the floor. Um, So uh, yeah, I did some work with them. And it was quite a short-lived comic for various um, logistical and uh, operational reasons and great financial crash reasons. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, it it was sort of it broke everyone's hearts a bit when it went away because we felt like we were really only just sort of starting to make something, starting to do something. And when David Fickling Books had uh, left Random House and established itself as an independent company, um, after a couple of years they. Um, a lot of the same people involved and um, the editor that I'd worked with before got in touch and just was like, hey, what, what are you up to? You um, might be thinking about making a new comic. Are you up for that? And um, again, sort of, it was it was a immediate, yes, oh my God, yes. Um, because, yeah, that, how often do you get to make your own stories? And in, in comics, how often do you get to make your own stories that you love and you're passionate about and that come just straight from your brain with sort of no, you're not pleasing any other masters, you know, you're just, you're just trying to tell the best story you can. And also, you know, you, you own that story and it's yours and you um, get paid to do it. That's, um, that's pretty rare in comics. And it's, um, I was very um, honored and flattered to be sort of invited in on the, on the ground floor of the Phoenix, I suppose. Something else to ask, uh, partly because of you know your heavy involvement with the Phoenix, but it's um, why is it what is it that attracts you to writing comics for younger readers uh, rather than you know older readers or um, other potential audiences? What is it specifically that draws you towards the kind of younger younger ones? Yeah, so I mean, it's so it's, it kind of um, it's not necessarily what I set out to do when I started. But I think it's just a question of um, me finding, you know, finding the comics I was good at making. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think when, you know, when I was when before I was when I was like self-publishing my own stuff as a, as a independent cartoonist person, as we all do. Um, all my comics were very sweary and uh, gratuitously violent, and uh, just sort of a lot of. Uh, me giggling at things <laughs> you know. but when and so when the opportunity came up to um sort of to pitch things to the the sort of precursor to the phoenix i was like oh wow i'm gonna have to gonna have to take all that stuff out but it sort of turns out that if you take all that stuff out like all, all the stuff i love is still there and it's 
sort of clearer and better and stronger for it you know um like the the the, the things that influenced me and made me want to make comics were the comics i read as a kid you know like and so the more i sort of tapped into that sort of feeling and that sort of tone i think the better the better the comics i was making and the more it felt like um i was in touch with the right thing um in what you know you don't want to wax too lyrical about this stuff or talk about muses or what have you but it just felt like oh no the, yeah these are the comics i'm supposed to be making this is the, the, i'm on something here this is um this is what i'm supposed to be doing you know um and so i've just sort of doubled down on that and and you know i it, so it's sort of just it's just what comes out but also i, th- I just think it's it's the most interesting way to try and tell stories you know stories that work for everyone you know like stories that are interesting and engaging and sort of fun and thought-provoking and funny and heartbreaking and all the rest of it but for any reader you know um potentially that's a that's a really interesting opportunity and a really challenging opportunity and um i i just i i sort of that's where I've landed and I'm very happy doing it because it just feels like such a such an interesting space to be working to me yeah so what's coming up next you're obviously you're committed to uh the the new Mega Robo's serialized story that's going in the Phoenix every week is that kind of your main thing this year yeah yeah like I say comics um comics take up your time so we've got Mega Robo Bros coming out in the Phoenix I think like pretty much every week all year like it's a it's it's the biggest story we've ever attempted and it's um oh yeah i i really love this one and i'm really excited for it to sort of go to some of the places it goes and for readers to to get that on a weekly basis i can't wait to see i can't wait to see um people's little heads explode (laughs) 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 and uh so i'm I'm just having the time of my life on this one and that that pretty much takes up my time um apart from the time that i now have to spend uh writing books as well so we've got um the next freddy book coming out uh later this year and then i think another one coming out not too long after that and so for a little while i'm just going to be kind of trying to balance those things and going back and forth between the two i think that's um that's pretty much all the time i've got <laughs> and and then yep. some taken care of you know so a yep. lot, lot of robots a lot of robots that's the short answer Yes, and one of those one of those subsequent novels may even come out when there isn't a global pandemic. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be a wouldn't that be a thing? Let's yeah. let's believe that that will happen. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Neil, thank you so much for your time today. That was that was wonderful, and I highly encourage everyone to go and check out the Phoenix and check out Mega Robo Bros in particular. Oh, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening and thanks to Neil for joining us on today's podcast as well as Flo. If you have any questions or you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writers Centre. We're on Facebook and head over to nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk to find out more about the book club, City of Literature and all of our events and courses. And if you want to jump onto our online Discord community, you can do so either on the website or by following the link down in the podcast show notes. Don't forget, as a UK-registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. Please do consider making a donation today by visiting nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and clicking Support Us in the main menu.
please do rate, review and subscribe or follow the podcast because it does help other people to find it as well. Flo, thanks for coming on to talk about the book club. Yeah, thanks for having me and uh, wishing everybody very happy reading. Excellent. Well, thanks again for listening. Keep writing and we will catch you next week. Thank you.